of the sky. Look. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Matt Spectro through the multiverse. Thank you for joining us for another exciting episode of Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse. I'm your host, Matt Spectro, lifetime comic fan, lifetime animation fan, lifetime superhero fan, and you are listening to the podcast that talks exclusively comic book animation. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to episode 79 and a particularly exciting episode I am back from my vacation to the most magical place on earth, and I am back. I want to thank my guest hosts, Michael Crockett and Jamie Janikowski, who filled in for my absence, but I am back, and I am excited to talk comic book animation. Let me briefly explain the rules. First, comic book animation, that's what we're talking about. I've said it once. I've said it a hundred times. Rule number two, big fan of the old team-up books, Marvel Team-Up, DC Comics Presents, so it's a team-up podcast. Every week, we are talking comic book animation with a special guest. And finally, third and most important, we got to have fun. Like I said, welcome to episode 79, the Black Friday episode. Hope you all had a happy turkey day and you're out there getting those sales. Listen to this podcast while you're out doing your shopping. I'm going to bring out my guest. He is X-Men Evolution Expert. Freddie at X-Men Evo Show. Welcome to the multiverse. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to have you. Uh, we went through, a, <laughs> we're not going to bore our audience, but we went through quite a few hurdles to make this happen. So I'm thrilled to have you with us. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I don't know how much of an expert I am, but I, I do know that I've been watching the show my whole life, <laughs> or at least as long as it's been on the air. <laughs> and I'm a super big fan of it, so... Well, you're probably more of an X-Men Evolution uh, fan more than I am. I, to be honest with you, before we start talking about this, I had never seen previously an episode of X-Men Evolution. That's all right. I'm very interested to talk to you and get your perspective as a newcomer to the show. Can I ask, did you just watch the first episode or have you seen a little bit more of it? In preparation for the show, we have watched, I watched the very first episode of X-Men. To be honest, actually, uh, this is the first time I've ever watched an X-Men cartoon since the uh, X-Men the Animated Series. Excited to uh, welcome you to the show. Um, as they say in X-Men uh, comics and such, they say, we hope you survive the experience. <laughs> Would you say this is your favorite X-Men animated show and what makes this stand out more than all the others? Ooh, um, that's a great question. Um, I'm going to say, yes, it's my favorite, and I hate to say the truth, but it's just because of bias, probably, like, nostalgia. Like, this is the show I grew up watching when it was on the air. Like, I did watch X-Men, the 90s show, first. Um, I, did, I don't think I watched the entire series, but I had a few VHS tapes, and I loved it. And I was a big fan of that one, too. Like, later in life, I went around and watched the entire series of the old one and i watched all the new ones so like and wolverine and the x-men so like i'm just a huge x-men fan in general been reading comic books 
my whole life as well. So just love the X-Men in general, all the animated stuff, all the movies. So I'm just here for it. But this one is special to me because I was right in the target age. I was like about 11 years old when the show came out. It was just everything. It was so cool to me. It just kind of stuck with me. I'll tell you a little bit about how I started the X-Men Evo Show Twitter account. Um, basically, when I was on Twitter as a normal person, <laughs> I saw that there was a huge fandom around the 90s show, but I did not see a lot of people talking about X-Men Evolution. So I was like, well, maybe, maybe I should just start talking about X-Men Evolution. And at the time, there were several accounts that were focused on like one show or thing. And they were called Let's Talk accounts. You don't really see them as much anymore. There's kind of like a drama situation going on. I don't know too much about it because I always kind of stayed in my own lane. But Twitter accounts come and go. But I just wanted to, you know, start conversation and keep it going about X-Men Evolution. And it's been really exciting to see that grow and see more and more people talk about it over the years. Uh, now, uh, I always uh, disclose this when uh, we do an X-Men episode. I have never been a huge X-Men fan. I don't dislike the X-Men. I've read plenty of their stuff, like some of their characters, but they've never, I've, they've always been my least, well, I went on about least favorite, but I've, I was always more in a, of Avengers type of guy when I came to Marvel than I, than I was X-Men. That's all right. I, I will say that I'm also a fan of Avengers. I'm also a DC fan. Like, like I, I just love comic books in general, superheroes. So, you know, all are welcome here. <laughs> all right. So I've, uh, we're going to get into a little bit of history. Can't talk about the X-Men without their origins in comic books. I'm not going to do a full essay on it because I've had other episodes. But back in 1963, created by the legends, the late, great Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. And that was during the, uh, the Marvel age of comics, as they say, where, uh, Everything Marvel was putting out was pretty much a hit. And uh, <laughs> it always amuses me. The X-Men were created kind of out of laziness because Stan Lee has said many times that he'd kind of come up with any every origin he could think of. And then he would say, it's like, ah, the hell with it. They're mutants. They're born with their powers. Yeah. <laughs> and um, he originally was going to call the book The Mutants. Uh, but his editor told him to come up with something else because, and I quote, no one knows what a mutant even is. They sure do now. <laughs> and I, I don't know. I don't think we'd be talking about them here some 50, 60 years later if they were called the mutants. I just don't think it would have had the same longevity. Maybe not. Now everyone knows that the X-Men, uh, uh, they sold all right, but uh, compared to a lot of the other Marvel 60s books, such as Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, and whatnot, they weren't as successful. So uh, in the end of the 60s, they uh, into the 70s, they kind of stopped. Um, they were kind of reprinting some of the old stories. And then, as everyone knows, in 1975, Giant Size X-Men number one, they brought them back with a whole new team. And pretty much they've been off of the races since, pretty much next to Spider-Man being Marvel's uh, cash cow, pretty much all the way up to current day. I would ask, uh, do you have a favorite uh, run or a favorite writer or anything like that when it comes to the X-Men books over the years? Well, I got to shout out Chris Claremont. Like any X-Men fan recognizes him as like fundamental to understanding who the X-Men are. Like Stan and Jack created them. 
and we are forever thankful for that. But Chris Claremont defined them for an entire generation. Like, he wrote on the comics for so long. He's still writing X-Men comics to this day. Like, he's taken several breaks, but he's just a defining author. And I do want to give him a special shout-out because X-Men Evolution, I think, is kind of based in part on his New Mutants run. In the um, early 80s, there was a offshoot or or you could call it a spin-off comic book called The New Mutants. And it was about a younger generation of mutants, like a, a very international group of mutants. And they had like basic black and yellow costumes and they they were in training. Like they were younger than the X-Men. They made a lot more mistakes and they still had to like keep up with their studies. And this is kind of like the era that I think X-Men Evolution kind of borrowed a lot from. Like there's some examples where there's you can find screenshots where it's almost exactly stuff that was in the comic books. So it's pretty cool. Well, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong. From what I've seen and what I've read, I've heard a combination of base uh, slightly on Claremont's run, the New Mutants, and the the 20th Century Fox uh, films. Uh, particularly, I believe at that point, the first two had only come out: X Men and X Men United We Stand, if I'm not mistaken. Just the first one, um, X-Men 2000. Okay. That movie really kind of opened the door for the X-Men to have a new animated show. There was a little bit of synergy with like the characters they picked, but it wasn't until season two of X-Men Evolution that they started leaning in more to stuff from the movies. and like uh, You'll see in the, the design of the Cerebro room where Professor X kind of scans the world it had uh you'll see in this one episode the first episode that's kind of just a den with a, some computer tech but then in season two it becomes that circular room it's all made of metal just like in the movies well i mean the i'm not gonna <laughs> this might be a spoiler alert for anyone who's seen it but i mean the, literally the villains at the beginning are toad Sabretooth, mystique and magneto the exact same for uh, mute, evil mutants from the uh, the first movie. Exactly. Magneto's Brotherhood, which is kind of interesting because Magneto's Brotherhood in the comic books was usually more separate from Mystique's Brotherhood or her team. But in Evolution and in the movies, they kind of combined all those bad guys. So uh, the X-Men 90s animated series is very popular and uh, finally went off the air. And then uh, with the resurgence of, uh, like we had said, the X-Men movies, uh, they decided to do X-Men Evolution. In fact, I saw something on, I was looking into some of your social media and there was someone that uh, quoted as saying he wishes there was the nostalgia for X-Men Evolution that there is for that, quote, mediocre X-Men the animated series. (laughs) Well... There's always going to be different generations of fans who have a different, you know, bias for each show. Like, like I said before, I kind of love them all equally. If I had to pick one, I would, I guess I would pick this one, but I do love them all passionately for different reasons too. It's like the nineties series had its um, pros and cons and this one has its pros and cons like that. You can, you can judge them all, but I think there's something special about each one. And I think, Different age groups might get a different kick out of the different ones. One interesting fact that I learned 
by being on Twitter is that X-Men Evolution is very popular in South America, in Brazil, like amongst Portuguese-speaking people. Like, it's super popular. <laughs> I think that's what they were raised with. I was not aware of that. If you follow the hashtag, you'll see a lot of uh, Portuguese-loving X-Men fans. (laughs) Yeah, there is quite a nostalgic love for X-Men, the animated series, which I've never seen from any other X-Men series, to the point where they're, uh, if you haven't heard, they're bringing that back, X-Men 97. Yeah, I mean, that's exciting. Um, I Like I said, I love the 90s series. And then the 90s, like, the X-Men were huge, like, they saved Marvel from bankruptcy, I believe. Like, there's a whole story about the financial troubles Marvel was having. And Jim Lee and Chris Claremont had a new X-Men title. X-Men number one was one of the biggest selling comic books in history. It was huge. Like, the animated series came out about a year later. I can see why it has the imprint that it has. And I'm excited for the reboot series. But my real hope is that it opens the door for X-Men Evolution to get rebooted, or maybe even Wolverine and the X-Men, which really got the short stick when it was canceled and on a cliffhanger of all things. So who knows? Or maybe we'll get a new X-Men show down the line, of like totally new. I'm here for it. All X-Men animation. So we're uh, going back. This was uh, X-Men Evolution. It ran on the uh, WB network, created by uh, Marty Eisenberg, Rob Skier, and uh, David Wise. And obviously uh, influenced by the film. Uh, It was actually, it's the uh, third longest running Marvel Studios animated show. Yeah, 52 episodes. Four seasons. Um, Some interesting facts that came with it. They decided to go with uh, making the X-Men more teenagers and less adults, with the exception of obviously Professor X and Wolverine, which I can only attest because they figured maybe... uh, a younger audience might identify more with younger versions of the characters. Yep, and um, Storm is also an adult, which many fans complain about. Wolverine, as an adult, makes sense just because he's so old as a character and long-lived. And Professor X, of course, as the father figure. Also, Beast later comes into the show as an adult. Like, they have several, you know, adult teacher, guardian figures. Yeah, and they... uh... They went with uh, all the most popular characters, Wolverine, Nightcrawler, Cyclops, Jean Grey, Storm, and Spike. Spike's an all-new character created for the show. And um, uh, what to say about Spike? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know Spike? Like, have, have you seen any episodes with Spike in him? Uh, I have not. He seems like a character they introduced into the comics later, but maybe I have him confused with somebody else. He, he was never um, officially introduced into the comics. There are like similar characters. There might be other characters named Spike, but to my knowledge, there is no Evan Daniels Spike, who's Aurora's who's Storm's nephew. Like he's very unique to this show, and it kind of pains me because if I'm being honest, like. I was an 11 year old black boy, like watching TV and like, it was kind of exciting to see another black character on the superhero team who was a boy. Like, I don't know I could relate to it in that way, but um, he never made it to the comics or, or the movies, but there was another character X 23 
who has been in the comics, in the movies, like she's become quite popular and she's now taking over Wolverine's um, mantle in the comics. So, so at least somebody from X-Men Evolution lived on. <laughs> yeah, you must be psychic. That was one of the uh, interesting factoids I was going to bring up about this cartoon. It's the first appearance of Laura Kinney, a.k.a. X-23, Wolverine's daughter who was later on brought into the Logan film as well as the comic books. Yep. And if you follow Twitter at all, huge controversy because there's the two camps of the people that call her X-23 and the people that call her Wolverine. And <laughs> the Wolverine ones get <laughs> very upset when you when people won't call her Wolverine. Yep, they do. Like, I, I try not to call her X-23 if I'm referring to the comics. But I can't help but call her X-23 when I'm talking about the show because that's who she was. Like, she never got to uh, grow into Wolverine in the context of the show. So I think it's fair to call her X-23 if you're referring to the, her X-Men Evolution version. Another little interesting uh, tidbit. This is the uh, first X-Men cartoon that used digital ink paint. Yes. I'm not 100% sure on what that is, but I found it to be an interesting factoid. Yeah, it's it's just, you know, computer-generated art where, well, like, you have real artists, but they're using digital ink, and it was definitely an upgrade in animation. Uh, I've seen the director of the 90s series, Larry Houston, on Twitter, he said he wishes that he had the budget that X-Men Evolution had for their animation, because they really kind of stepped it up. Another uh, rumor I read going into this, that uh, the original plan was to make it like the films and have Mystique be nude, and then finally someone stepped in and said, hey, maybe that's not the best idea for a kid's cartoon. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't that be something? <laughs> so we are going back to November 4th, 2000, and we're going to the episode Strategy X, the very first episode of X-Men Evolution. Now, you and I were talking about this when we were trying to arrange this recording, and you had said that the show got progressively better as it went along. Absolutely. Like, I kind of have a hard time watching season one because I feel like it's still finding its footing. Um, there's a lot of cringy moments, but there's also a lot of good character development, and it sticks very strongly to the school setting. So you kind of get to see the characters grow. But as you go on into season two, they start to break things. And then season by the end of season two, spoiler alert, am I allowed to give spoilers? <laughs> yeah, that's fine. As long as you give the spoiler alert, that's fine. Yeah. So at the end of season two, like, then that's where the show really kicks off, in my opinion. Like, the last few episodes of season two going into season three, like, it's it really kicks into high gear and you see the X-Men face the prejudice of the world, face life-threatening situations. They essentially graduate into a show that's more like the X-Men that you know from the 90s or maybe from the comics. And there's less of the school setting, but it's still there. The show definitely gets more mature as it goes on. All right, Strategy X, written by Avi Arad, Rick Unger, Bob Forward, directed by one Frank Parr. Mm -hmm. Now, 
I go over the, uh, anyone listens, I go over the credit, which credit is due. Now, the cast of the show is pretty big, so I, I stuck to the characters that appear in this episode. We're going to start off with Nightcrawler, created by Len Wein, Dave Cockrum. He's voiced by a Brad Swally, who, uh, when I looked up, most of the stuff he did is uh, dubbing anime, English dubs of anime, including stuff as uh, Dragon Ball Z and something called Mobile Suit, which I am not familiar with. Is it Swally or Swale? I'm not sure. I don't know. Uh, it looked like it was spelled S-W-A-L-I-E, so maybe it's Swale. Um, anybody who listens to the show, I'm also terrible at pronunciation, so I'll apologize to Brad if I mispronounced his name. Me too. <laughs> the uh, ever-popular, most one of the most famous X-Men, Wolverine, created by Roy Thomas, Len Wein, John Romita Sr., Scott McNeil had uh, done his voice. He has done a lot of uh, gaming dubbing. He also was on the new adventures of He-Man. And I believe he did one of the voices on one of the Spider-Man cartoons as well. Mm-hmm. Cyclops, created by Stan Lee, Jack Kirby. And uh, Kirby Morrow does his voice. And uh, uh, <laughs> he was uh, Mc- Miracue from, I don't even know what these things are. Uh, he was well. Let's go with this. He was hot shot on uh, Transformers Cybertron. We'll stick with that. He had a lot of credits, and we loved him on X Men as Cyclops. And I just want to say rest in peace because he he passed away recently, uh, well two years ago, and it's just still very heartbreaking in my opinion. It's always tragic when we lose someone from the uh, world of voice animation. Jean Grey, also created by Stanley and Jack Kirby. Uh, Venus uh, Terzo does the voice. Most famously known for uh, Rainbow Dash and My Little Pony. We also have uh, Professor X. Again, Stanley, Jack Kirby. David Kay does the voice. he done voices on Avengers Assemble and Ben 10. Mm-hmm. Also, he's the newscaster in the movie Up. Oh, didn't know that. Uh, Storm, created by Len, the great, great Len Wein and Dave Cockrum. Uh, Christine Williamson does Storm's voice, uh, who had appeared in something I'm unfamiliar with, The Da Vinci Inquest and Da Vinci City. I don't know if those are video games or uh, animation, but that's one of the, the most popular things I could see credit for. Hmm. And finally, uh, The Toad, wait, well, actually, you know what? I don't even have Toad on my list. He's one of the main <laughs> <laughs> I'm still in vacation mode, I guess. <laughs> I left Toad off the list. Well, Toad was created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, but I don't have in front of me <laughs> who did the voice work. Uh, <laughs> Toad, his name was, um, I know this, um, it starts with an N. I'm looking it up right now. Noel Fisher, or Noel or Noel All Fisher right. plays Toad, and he's got a notably... Um, Urban accent, shall we say? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why you're on the show because you're the X Men Evolution expert. <laughs> I have to say, like, I, I I did listen to your previous podcast where you talked about X Men, and I noticed you said that you really hate the character of Toad. So I <laughs> I, 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 wanted, <laughs> I wanted to ask you if you um feel any differently about this version of toad after watching the first episode or if you still just hate the character in general 
Uh, this, this didn't do much to, to change my perception. I, I've, I just think he's been kind of a useless character whose powers are kind of stupid. Well, I will say that um, in X-Men Evolution, Toad is more of a character than I've seen him anywhere else. And like him and the rest of the Brotherhood, you start, later on you meet Avalanche, who was original character in the show named Lance Alvers. You meet Pietro Maximoff, who is Quicksilver. You meet Fred Dukes, who's the blob. And then you meet, later on, you meet um, Scarlet Witch, which is Pietro Maximoff's sister. Wanda Maximoff, which is quite famous now, um, thanks to the movies and such. The Brotherhood are fan favorites of the show. Like, if you like, fan, most fans of the show, I think, found those characters very relatable, very funny. And they were just ever present. Like they were always rivals to the X-Men in a fun way. On that note, we're going to take our break. Freddie and me are going to rewatch X-Men Evolution Strategy X. And we'll be right back to talk about it. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Alert. Alert. Trouble is brewing. Prepare for excitement. Explosive action. Don't mess the road. And extreme fun. He's mine. It's Professor Xavier and his band of misfit teenagers. You gotta be sharp if you're gonna mess with the spike. Who are about to become the world's most extraordinary superheroes. X-Men Evolution. Bring home all the excitement on video. Fine. I'll challenge you for it. You're on. Yes, I won! We will meet again. The X-Men have hit Burger King. Now in every big kid's meal, you can get one of the X-Men like Cyclops or Rogue. And a mini CD-ROM with games and original dot-comic adventures. Rated E for everyone. You can collect all eight at Burger King. Home of the real big kid's meal. They've got Wolverine. They've got Storm! Even Beast! Where those mutants belong. In a can. <laughs> New from Chef Boy RD, all your favorite X-Men and pasta shapes and excellent sauce. We got them. And only you can set them free. New X-Men pasta. It's not just a meal, it's an adventure. Meanwhile, behind the facade of this innocent-looking podcast. We are back, and we watched X-Men Evolution Strategy X. I gotta ask you, is, uh, had you seen this recently, or is this uh, like the first, sometimes when I watch do my episodes, I watch a cartoon I haven't seen in like 10 years. When was the last time you had seen this? <laughs> I did rewatch it, um, you know, uh, for this podcast. I mean, I have seen it a million times. <laughs> It's not my favorite of the episodes, but I think it's a pretty strong pilot episode. I think it sets the tone of what to expect pretty well. All right, we're gonna. I've been accused of being too thorough 
when discussing the episode. So I, I'm not I'm gonna I'm not gonna get in every nook and cranny. I'm gonna I'm gonna try a different approach this week and uh, stick to the uh, to the important details. We open at a football game, high school football game. Did they say? Uh, maybe you know better. Did they say what high school this is at? Um, Bayville High. Okay, <laughs> where um, both Gene Gray and Cyclops are there. Cyclops is uh, watching from the stands, but uh, Gene Gray is uh, maybe she's the uh, the school photographer. That's something that you only see in this episode. She's never taking pictures again. <laughs> it's weird. It's almost implied like she has a relationship with one of the football players, but at the same time, later on, it's implied she's with Cyclops. So I got a little confused by that. Yeah, she's definitely dating the football player. His name is Duncan. Uh, he's very awful, in my opinion. But it's a good foil for Scott because Scott has a crush on Gene and he spends a lot of the show trying to like win her over, I guess. So, so right now they're just kind of like, I hate to say it, it's more of a brother-sister vibe Scott and Gene have because they live together. Toad is at the game pickpocketing various people, which uh, the football team who notices it, they're going to teach him a lesson, ask the coach who, if they could leave during the game. And he lets them do it because they're up 49-17, which I still find a little strange, even if they are destroying the other team. <laughs> they're going to lay a beat down on Toad under the bleachers where Cyclops intervenes. And uh, Duncan says one of my favorite lines of the episode where uh, – you could take your stupid sunglasses at night and bail. <laughs> yeah. He wears his sunglasses at night and he wears them well. And uh, there's a big fight where uh, accidentally uh, Cyclops loses his uh, sunglasses, his eye blast, blows up a propane tank causing a huge fire, which is at that point we go to the uh, opening credits. Yeah. Uh, which was a little bit of a disappointment because uh, – Rogue, Shadowcat, and Spike are all in the credits, and none of them actually appear in this episode. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Season one is all set up. You pretty much get introduced to these characters one episode at a time. And some of them take forever to join the show, namely Rogue. Like She takes a while to become an X-Man, but when she does, she becomes a spotlight character of the show. Yes, for now, it's just a tease, but I have to ask you, what do you think of the uh, intro music? I, I liked it. I thought it was good. I know that uh, X-Men the Animated Series is uh, always credited with like the most amazing theme song, but I dug the music in this. Again, I love them both, but I like how this one has a different feel. It's like a more of a early 2000s techno house kind of rave vibe. And I don't know. It's just, it gets me pumped every time I hear it. I like it. I like how Shadowcat is like is in the trailer almost dancing to the music. Yes, like they even gave her um a unique background like a club vibe like that animation might be from another episode but the background is is unique to the opening credits. Yeah, they really spotlight each character there and let you know these are their superhero names and this is what they look like. <laughs> Um, and credit to the show, uh, there's an equal amount of female and male characters in this version of the X-Men, which almost never happens in any comic book or cartoon. Yes, like, uh, again, that's why I think this show embraces what Claremont built, because Claremont was the one who really featured women in his X-Men run, like Jean, Storm, Kitty, Pride, um, 
these characters, he created some of them and they, they really thrived under him. This show in particular does a great job of letting these female characters be in the main role, let, letting them be strong. Let, like the 90s series gets a lot of flack for Jean fainting all the time. But she does not faint all the time in this show, let me tell you. Like, she's one of the standout characters. So basically, Professor X takes care of business, so nobody at that football game will will be suspicious that Cyclops started the fire. Early on, they have Professor X using his powers to uh, make people forget about mutants and strange goings-on. So like it's, it's kind of interesting, because that's exactly what Stan Lee did, and... And it does kind of call into question his character. Like, should he be using his powers on other people like this? But, you know, he does what he needs to do. (laughs) Uh, They meet Nightcrawler, who comes up on the train station. We get a really strange, well, I don't know if it's strange, just I don't know if it's necessary, seeing a Wolverine stopping at a gas station on his way to X-Mansion, where he uses his claws to open a water bottle. Really, the only scene... The only purpose this scene even serves is that he's being observed by Sabretooth, I guess, to introduce him. But I don't, you probably got to cut the scene out. It wouldn't even have made a difference. Yeah. I mean, I think it just kind of is in there on the strength of Wolverine as a known character. Like one of the first X Men people think of is Wolverine. So I guess, you know, he had to be there at least a little bit. <laughs> one thing I'd like to point out going back a little bit is that. Storm is basically introduced as Professor X's chauffeur in this series, which is a little bit disappointing. She kind of remains that through much of the show. Like she, <laughs> she really doesn't get to shine as much in this show as as much as in the '90s series. But she she does have a presence, and I do like her. Like it's just a little disappointing. So uh, we get another weird scene where. <laughs> Jean Grey is taking too long in the in the bathroom making herself beautiful, which gets Cyclops to say, ask her if she wants him to blow down the door. This guy's really impatient and in a damn hurry, isn't he? <laughs> Apparently there's only one bathroom in this whole mansion. And, uh, they, uh, they meet Nightcrawler, and then at the same scene, uh, Scott gets kind of hot under the collar because Professor X really gives him some shit about Oh, uh, what happened at the the football game? Scott and Professor X definitely butt heads a lot as the show goes on. We switch to Toad, who's in the uh, principal's office. It comes on pretty quick that the principal's actually Mystique, which I'm a little baffled. Is is this just a spy on the X Men that go to this school? Why is Mystique masquerading as the school principal? <laughs> So let me say here, in this scene, you don't actually find out she's Mystique. She just turns into a monster, like an alien or something. And it's, it's kind of bizarre if you don't know who Mystique is. But by the end of the episode, they, they definitely reveal Mystique in her blue form. Maybe we'll talk more about that towards the end. But I will say that it's a very interesting setup because this is not a role she ever played in the comic books. Like, she did have a alter ego named Raven Darkholm, which is the name of the principal here. And so she basically kind of recruits the Brotherhood and wants them to fight the X-Men for her own reasons, but not necessarily her own reasons because, spoiler alert, uh, you find out that 
she's working for Magneto at the end of this episode. One thing I would say is that this setup of the X-Men versus the Brotherhood in a school setting, it kind of reminds me again of the New Mutants run where, where Emma Frost was the principal of her own school, the, the Massachusetts Academy. And she had her own team of quote-unquote bad guys called the Hellions. And they were kind of rivals to the New Mutants. So I think this setup feels inspired by that. This show definitely made it its own type of thing and its own characters. Like It really worked well in the long run about how they played against each other. While we're on the subject, Mystique, I'd ask you about something, and this might be something you have a strong opinion about, something you might not care. A lot of people now have grown back to say that Mystique and Destiny were the original queer-coded couple. Do you think there's any uh, anything to that, or do you think that's just uh, wishful thinking on to, uh, modern right- readers? Um, well, actually, let me say a little humble brag. Uh, first, I was, like, being on Twitter... I had the privilege of speaking with um, Stephen E. Gordon, the character designer and a director on the show. I interviewed him, and um, he actually uh, mentioned how, like, this show was the first show to show Mystique and Destiny as a couple. And and you can see that if you watch the different episodes, where, especially the ones where Destiny is featured, because Destiny is kind of the mother figure for Rogue. And you see that very soon in like episode three. And Mystique is also around and involved. And like later on, it becomes this whole spoiler alert. It becomes a huge dramatic subplot where Mystique reveals that she's Rogue's mother. But we already know that Destiny is her mother. So it's kind of implied. They don't really dig deep into it in the show. But it is there. Like You can see them have scenes together. You see photographs of the family in the background of Mystique, Destiny, and Baby Rogue. and it's kind of very interesting. Like, uh, I do think that Chris Claremont in the comics made that a thing. And I think that it's, uh, I was very excited to see that X-Men Evolution decided to include that, you know, at a time where you didn't see a lot of that on TV, especially in the kids cartoon. So it was kind of progressive for the show, I would say. I'm not a mind reader, but uh, I do think, I know uh, it gets said a lot about a lot of things, but I actually think, and I could be wrong, that that was Claremont's intention to, for them to be a couple back in the day, but who knows? Could be completely wrong. Like, There's definitely a lot of old comic books where it's pretty explicit. So uh, back on, just had to get your opinion because it's one of those uh, contested, uh, debated topics on Twitter. So mm-hmm. I figured while we're on the subject... We go back to the school where uh, Toad and uh, Cyclops have a little meeting where uh, he wants to be his pal. Cyclops comments about Toad as seems to have no no uh, reservations about using his ability in public. And he says, and this is a running theme in this episode, uh, that Toad has the personal hygiene of a dead pig. <laughs> yep. He's not very clean or, or uh, good smelling or fun to be around in that regard. <laughs> so he wants Storm to test him to see if he is one of them, uh, which uh, leads a scene with uh, Storm and uh, Toad, where Toad's trying to break into the mansion. 
I actually like Storm's uh, costume design on this. It's quite different than anything I've seen in any of the comics I've read. I actually like uh, the way they designed her costume. I agree. Like it, it's pretty unique. It's it looks good. Uh, she's got a cape. You know, anytime a character has a pretty cool cape, I'm I'm here for it. She's got these interesting gloves that look good on her. It's a pretty good design. Like I'm I'm a pretty big fan of most if not all of Stephen E. Gordon's character designs, but Storms is pretty good. During the fight, he gets blown into the mansion where he runs in a night crawler. They have a uh, series of taunts and acrobatic fights going on. Great exchange where first Toad says to him, are you some kind of uh, ratty plush toy? <laughs> Which Nightcrawler responds with, at least I don't reek like unwashed leader Later poses. <laughs> Yep, lots of great lines in this one. And um, are we to the part yet where Storm and Toad fight? Because that's a call out to the movie. Yeah, that's what uh, got him into the mansion because she had blasted him. Well, first she caused it a rain, shot lightning at him, which and the wind blew him right into the mansion. Mm-hmm. And it is very similar to the first film. Like a lot of things are like Professor Xavier's voice um, by David Kay very much recalls Patrick Stewart in the tone of voice that he uses. Their acrobatics fighting eventually causes them to end up in the danger room, which causes all the danger room's uh, securities and defenses to go on. So things are really, uh, they're getting attacked by lasers and all sorts of things. Yeah, it's a very classic scene where you see the, the danger room for the first time. Like, that's something we saw in, I believe, prior to the X-Men. We saw it in 90s series. So, like, it's cool that this series kept that classic element of the X-Men and showed it in a pretty cool way. Um, there's a weird exchange with Gene and Scott where they're getting into their costumes and they're like announcing to each other what the danger room is and what it does. And I was watching it with <laughs> with my stepson and I was like, why are they having this conversation with each other? It's like they're <laughs> telling each other stuff they already know. Well, I guess they got to explain it to the audience who maybe never knew about the danger room before or the X-Men. You know how it is. And speaking of Jean Grey, her costume design on this is goddamn terrible. <laughs> you think so? I, I thought it was awful. It was, it was like black, but with that big green part down the middle. Like, <laughs> ugh. Uh, I, I, <laughs> for every bit as good as Storm's design was hers, I just thought it was hideous. <laughs> it is kind of um, simple, I will say. But and I think it's kind of iconic. Like I, you know, I think that right now, Jean Grey in 2022, she has a comic book costume that's kind of similar to this one. Like it's very green. Uh, it has the headband, but also you know it's form fitting. Like say what you will about the green triangle, but at least you know it's her when you see it coming. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, uh, Cyclops and Jean, they, they come and save the day. And with uh, Professor X's help, they manage to shut down the danger room, which I always thought the danger room was a bit, it always seems like it's like seconds away from causing real havoc and actually killing somebody. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I guess that's why it's called the danger room. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, whether it be the comic, the movie, the cartoon, it just seems like that thing is just a, is a hazard, it should be shut down. Like, Professor X, why do you have, like, buzz saws and lasers in your 
basement <laughs> attacking children. <laughs> but to be honest, though, as the show goes on, you come to find out he has a pretty good reason. <laughs> like, they, they do need to train. I did forget to mention that uh, earlier, uh, Professor X had given Nightcrawler uh, like a, a wristband that like creates the illusion that he looks like he doesn't look blue and have the tail like he looks like he never was a mutant. Yeah, like that's a big deal. Like I think I haven't spoken too much about Nightcrawler yet, but I would say that uh, he's definitely the heart of the show in some ways because he is a mutant who's born with a physical, you know, aberration where it's like he stands out. People call him a demon. Like he, everyone's afraid of him, and he struggles with it. Like, when you first see him, he's in a full-body cloak trying to hide who he is. So, when he meets the X-Men and Professor X gives him the image inducer, he puts it on for the first time, he is ecstatic. And especially because he's a teenager in this version. Like, every teenager just wants to feel normal. So, this is his chance to blend in and and go to school for the first time and, and feel like a normal kid. And he's just so happy. and. I don't blame him. Like, I understand the feeling. But also, as the show goes on, you get to see how that has pros and cons. Like, it's great to fit in, but there are times where you want to be yourself, where you want to embrace who you are and, and not be judged for it. So it's like, um, he goes back and forth. He has a couple character arcs where he. Where the image inducer, you know, is a big deal. So it's a pretty interesting part of his character, I would say. Toad kind of hightails it out of the mansion. M- mansion. <laughs> Nightcrawler feels really low. He feels he doesn't belong. He teleports away. Uh, Toad runs into Wolverine on the outside, which, spoiler alert, Wolverine almost also notices the lack thereof of hygiene that Toad possesses. Professor X tells him to let him go, which Wolverine lets Toad just leave. And then him and uh, Logan and Professor X refer to each other as old friends. So there's definitely a hint of something that they've known each other a long time. Mm-hmm. Scott runs into uh, Nightcrawler where the Blackbird is. They have a heart to heart. You know, he wants to remind them that they're all here to learn and that uh, he wants them to be part of the team. He even tells him at one point he's going to teach him how to pilot the blackbird isn't that wild like you got teenagers <laughs> flying military jets uh, jets <laughs> <laughs> yes. scott is a he's not like an adult he's a kid too and he's flying a jet yep that's how they do it here <laughs> and it ends with him you know saying uh welcome to the team toad is back at the principal's office really getting the riot act read to him that he was in the X-Mansion, but now he doesn't remember he's been mind-wiped. So Mystique is kicks him out of the office, and she is livid about it. Mm-hmm. And it ends on this kind of really weird where Magneto shows up in the window, but he's very ghost-like. Like, he's almost speaking telepathic, telepathically and really ominous and really putting the fear of God into Mystique. Yeah, like, uh, she is scared. You really only see his shadow in the reflection, and... And in the first season, Magneto is a very shadowy figure. It's kind of interesting. I would always say this show 
didn't quite get Magneto until maybe season two. Even then, it's hit or miss, but it's interesting how they portrayed his character, I'll just say. It's, it's not typical Magneto. That's the first glance you get of uh, Mystique as Mystique, and she's wearing the classic John Byrne, I think it's John Byrne, design costume from her first appearance. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty cool. And Magneto says very ominously, this is only the beginning. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect line to end on, I think. And there you have it. X-Men Evolution Strategy X. Now, you had said when we were arranging this that uh, you didn't think the first season really held up that well. What do you, what do you think? Do you think we, uh, it doesn't rank as well as stuff down the road? Definitely not. Like, it's not in my top five. I don't know if it's in my top ten. It's not bad. It's not the worst episode. I just feel like season one overall is, is not the strongest season. It just gets better and better as it goes along, in my opinion. It's funny because, like, you could conceivably start on season two and still kind of get introduced to the characters and know what's going on. But, you know, for what it is, I think it's pretty solid. You know, I don't mind rewatching it from time to time. All right. On that note, we're going to go right over to our ranking system. We're going over to our spectrometer. Anyone new to the show, Spectrometers, where we rank what we just saw. Zero Spectros is garbage. Four Spectros is pretty much perfection. Can't get any better. Freddie, how are you going to rank X-Men Evolution Strategy X? I'm going to give it a three because it's good, but it's not the best one ever. All right. I am going to go, I'm going to go two and a half where I think it's pretty good. Not great. I like the character choices. Uh, I like the setup. Um, I don't have too much complaints. It was pretty good. Uh, It feels like it has the beginnings of growing into something better. Evolving, if you will. It's got potential, or you could say the X Factor. (laughs) I see what you did there. That's actually the title of the next episode, I think. (laughs) (laughs) And... I'm not sure what uh, I'm still on the fence on the animation style. Not part of it, it. It feels like it's. I don't know. Parts of it felt rushed to me a little bit. Yeah, I, I've heard a lot of mixed opinions in terms of the animation style. I personally love it, but you know, I think it depends on people's taste. Some people have said this show has a little bit of a anime manga influence or at least compared to the 90s series you could say that but on the flip side it is still very much a western show like Stephen E. Gordon's character designs are very adhered to so I don't know it's interesting it's not like the X-Men anime I, I haven't seen it but like I've seen pictures of it it's like a very different show and you think later on when they introduce Rogue, Shadow, Cat, and Spike that that, uh, that improves the show? Absolutely. Like, like the X-Men work best as an ensemble to me. 
So, like, once the whole team is fully formed, that's when it starts to come together. Like I said, Rogue in particular is a standout character of this show that fans love. Like, she's presented with kind of a goth look, which is a unique take on her. And it's kind of inspired by the movie where she's a little bit more subdued or, or, or emo, you could say, or whatever. But it was also a vibe in the 2000s. Like, people who aren't living in the 2000s don't understand how the goth girl like <laughs> was such a big deal. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting how this show kind of captures that a little bit and does it so well with Rogue because she can't be touched. So like it really plays into her character, I think. And, and they have a few other characters who are also goth or, you know, preppy or, you know, they're like, they explore the full range of high school characters. And so you get to meet lots of different, X-Men, lots of different um, uh, Brotherhood, or even uh, normal human people. So I do want to say, because I, I didn't get a chance to mention it yet, the setting of Bayville is very interesting to me because it's original to this show. And yeah, like um, it's kind of reminiscent of, you know, classic teen shows where like, Saved by the Bell was Bayside, you know, and and you had Sunnydale and Buffy. This show is very influenced by Buffy, like to the point where they even trace or rotoscope animation from scenes from Buffy. Really? Yeah, like Buffy and the craft, like um, there's a lot of different influences on this show. And, and Buffy was on the same network, like WB. Buffy was a WB hit. And this was a kids WB show. So it was very interesting at the time because this is before Disney bought Marvel. This is before Marvel was popular in the movies. They only had the one X-Men movie. Like that's, well, they had Blade. What else did they have? At that point, the X-Men Blade, yeah, Howard the Duck, I guess, if you want to go back that far. (laughs) And, And they had that. Captain America movie, but I don't know if that terrible could, one. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if that. I had a bootleg copy at the time, but I don't know if that had been made public yet. Yeah, so, so like this was at the beginning of Marvel really kind of branching out and becoming popular again in, in mainstream. But back to the point of Bayville, did you know that Bayville is a real place in New York City? Not, not New York City proper, but it's off Long Long Island, I believe. I I was not aware of that. So, like, I don't know if they based it off of the real Bayville or if they just picked the name because it sounded like something on a teen drama. I'm just very interested by it because uh, there is a real Bayville, but in the comic books, the, the X-Men lived in Westchester. They lived in Salem Center, Westchester. I don't know. It's very unique to the show. You'll hear a lot of Bayville if you keep watching it. And also... I think it's a very interesting setup where you have the X-Men living at the mansion as usual, but they also go to a public school. They go to Bayville High. It's a very clear allusion to, you know, integration, you know, the way in the 1960s they started integrating schools and... This one is a little bit more subtle because in the first 
two seasons, spoiler alert, people don't know that they're mutants, but they later find out and it becomes more of a struggle for them to go to school. And they, there's a whole episode called Mainstream in season three, one of the best episodes, in my opinion, where the, they, they literally fight for their right to go to school. Jean Grey gives an eloquent speech. And like this show doesn't get a lot of credit for being very deep compared to the 90s show. Like the 90s show kind of leaned hard into the uh, racial allegories and uh, metaphors about what it means to be a mutant but like this show did it too after it got through the teen drama <laughs> but it always had a lot of action too so it has a little something for everybody i think well what did you think out there did you uh do you agree with uh me and freddie's take did you like it more did you like it less always remember if uh, you don't agree with us that's okay we're just two guys talking comic book animation it's opinion <laughs> nothing to get upset about but you can go to my social media and tell me what you thought. You can find me at Twitter at Matt Spectro, uh, Facebook on Matt Spectro through the multiverse, and I'm now on Hive at Matt Spectro, all lowercase. So you can find me all there and give me your opinion while you're there. Follow and like me. I appreciate it. Free plug time of our show, Freddie. The floor is yours. Everything and anything you want to plug, now's the time. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I mean, I guess I would say... I'm here because of my Twitter page, um, X-Men Evo Show. You can find me at X-Men Evo Show on Twitter. But, you know, we'll see how long Twitter is the place to be. Maybe I should go over to Hive or somewhere else. I don't know. I might put up my interview with Stephen E. Gordon on YouTube. Maybe look over there, X-Men Evo Show. But, yeah, mostly... I've just been on Twitter for the past four years talking about this show. <laughs> well, I want to thank you for joining us, and uh, especially because of uh, what nobody listening will know, but all, all the back and forth we had to go through to make this happen. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm glad we made it this far. It's been fun talking to you. And um, if you ever want to talk about another comic book show, I'm, I'd be down. You know, I love animation. Quick question. Have you ever watched the Spider-Woman cartoon? Yeah, I, I, one of my earliest episodes, uh, my wife came on the show and we watched one of the uh, Spider-Womans and uh, I would love, I, I, I've, if you want to come back and do a different episode, I would certainly be down with that. <laughs> that show is a trip. <laughs> it's definitely different and I love the fact that the, the male character is such a bumbling, useless, incompetent fool. Yeah. <laughs> And yet, Spider-Woman still tries to act like a, a ditz to, to throw him off the track. Yeah, it's a wild show. <laughs> Interesting. Like, I, I, I could, there's a lot I could say about that show. Let's just say that. <laughs> well, and also, uh, I'm not to get too sidetracked. I also find it fascinating that uh, whatever superpower they needed to have or have to solve this week's episode, <laughs> she magically had it all. <laughs> so. Right. She was popping powers out every episode, and she was almost like Superman levels of power. <laughs> she was saving the world from aliens. <laughs> In all seriousness, I, I really do sincerely thank you for joining us. I hope you will come back and do another episode. Sure, or if you ever want to talk about X-Men Evolution, I'm your guy. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank everyone who uh, came back from my vacation. 
if you could also uh, subscribe to my podcast, I really appreciate it. It's Matt Spector through the multiverse. Some exciting news starting next week. We're going to be doing a month-long celebration of Christmas. Every episode in the month of December is going to be a Christmas-themed episode. So stay tuned for that. I'm looking forward to that. Freddie, uh, I'm still coming up with ideas. Any Was was there an X-Men Evolution Christmas episode? Yes, I was just about to say. There's an X-Men Evolution Christmas episode, and it's great. Dang, well, I don't really don't bring people back so quick, but I might have to bring you back for one of the Christmas episodes. <laughs> well, I'll probably be watching it whether we do or not, but uh, I'd love <laughs> to come back. So, On that note, I want to thank everyone for joining us and tune in again next week for another exciting episode of Matt Spectro. And we're going to call Matt Spectro through the Christmas verse. Starting next week, please don't miss it. Have a safe and happy holiday. We'll talk to you soon. Goodbye, everybody. Take care.